What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. It's so good to have you join us for today's show. Uh, I'm Dean, and I'm here with my pal, Zach. What's up, everybody? How's it going? How are you doing, Dean? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Feeling like uh, hard to believe that we're like into October already. It feels like time is just uh, rapidly advancing. September flew by. Yeah. Just like a snap. Like summer's so busy. It's like, for me, it feels like the new year, you know, like yeah. the kids go back to school, vacations are kind of, you know, coming to an end, structures back, you know, yeah. structures in, you know, it's the new trend That's all right. of a sudden. Trends are in. Trends are in, you know, being places on schedule. Yeah. All of that, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, now we're, summer's kind of wrapping up and fall pumpkin seasons here pumpkin lattes Pump, pumpkin pie pumpkin smoothies at pumpkin the juice truck smoothies at the juice truck are they in or are they back they're back just oh, this week man. yeah yes come come on down it's so good i i love that actually yeah. i really want one now are you a pumpkin pie guy i am totally yeah total pumpkin like pump i'm not like a, i don't do the pumpkin like lattes or anything because i don't really drink lattes i just drink like black coffee and i don't know but that's fine people can enjoy that but like pumpkin like pie pumpkin like loaf muffins these kind of things i'm all for it me too yeah that's my favorite pie of the year is pumpkin pie and i like you know i can't get enough you know i'll eat i think we're similar we're both overeaters it's a bit of a it's happened once or twice it's a bit of a bad habit one might say but uh i always take it too far where i get to that point where it's like so good so good so good okay too much too good and then i gotta lie down for a while yeah have a little quiet time but honestly my favorite is uh and this is actually like because of the juice truck smoothies like i would never really have pumpkin pie even before like with like ice cream or anything i know some people like ice cream or whipped cream but i always just like liked it on its own Mm. but pumpkin pie with like some coconut whipped cream something about those they don't seem like they should go together like coconut and pumpkin but it's so good oh i love it I, I love, I love the spices too. Like whoever yes. came up with the spices to yes. go with pumpkin pie, some, nutmeg, some, some sort of alchemist. Cinnamon. Yeah. Honest, honestly, and a brilliant alchemist. So yeah, I mean, and fall's great. Like, um, the weather here is still so nice. Like it's sunny. You still get some good days, but you get a little bit of like, it's a little bit cooler. I don't know. I, it's a great time of year. The, the leaf, the leaves changing is like beautiful and you know, you'll see everyone's Instagram posts being like, the leaves are changing color to remind you to like, let that shit go. <laughs> and it's, it's whatever, it's cliche and maybe a little goofy, but like at the same time, it's true. Like the seasons remind us that the change is necessary, that like winter and death is coming and then there's new life and new opportunities and the cyclical nature of everything is like baked into the world around us. So I don't know, that took a turn. <laughs> I was gonna say something kind of like light and funny, and then yeah. I was like, "Oh, I think I lost my moment because yeah, we're talking about death." And it, stuff turned now. it turned, it turned to winter. It turned to winter. Winter coming. Winter is coming. I was oh, gonna man. say this isn't serious at all, but I like the weather, kind of where we're at right now, where you can kind of wear shorts and a sweater. Yes, that's like my favorite, dude. Uh, my favorite combo where you're Honestly. kind of cool on the bottom, but like cozy on top. My favorite, my favorite thing to wear is like a pair of shorts and like a nice hoodie. Yeah. That's like the go-to uniform, you know? The short season is soon, soon going to be dying yeah, as, well. as winter comes. I know. Unless you're one of those like shorts all year kind of guys. I'm trying to bring our vibes together here. It's good. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> it's working. We're like pumpkin pie and coconut whip. Like you don't think it's going to go, but then it goes together and it's perfect. Um, okay. You know who I saw the other day who that I hadn't it? seen for so long? Shout out podcast alumni 
Dr. Drew, Andrew Savare. Oh, no way. Yeah, he's a good man. Uh, him and uh, Christina Lumba are opening up uh, at their physio clinic. They're do like, well. Do well. Shout yeah. out to do well. Shout out to do well. It's going to be awesome. Um, and so they just reached out and asked if we could help out with a little bit of... Um, yeah, just like imaging and marketing and stuff. So we did some like photographs of them and stuff. Anyway, it was super fun. But check this out. So I haven't seen Drew in far too long. Um, and we like turned up to his place where we were doing the, the photos. And he's just like, dude, good to see you, whatever. And we just like doing some quick small talk. And he goes to me, man, he's like, you are like aging backwards. And I was like, oh, like, thanks, Drew. Like, whatever. It's, you know, whatever. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I mean it. Like, you look really good. And I was like, well, let me tell you about Caldera Lab, Drew. And I just kind of like said it jokingly. But then I was like, God, that's like, right? It wasn't anything different. So like I had some new whatever, like product or hairstyle or anything, right? Like, and it, he's just like, dude, you look so good. And I was like, it must be, it must be Caldera Lab, man. Because I'm using that stuff all the time. And I think it really works. And you got the glow. Those kind of those kind of moments, like when you're wondering us oh, and changing, and then you see someone that you haven't. Like honestly, the last time I saw Drew was prior to us, you know, having Caldera as a sponsor and using their products. And like, I think the proof is in those kind of like acknowledgments and compliments. And I don't know. We just, uh, I, I was like, thanks, Drew. You got to get on the Caldera Lab routine, bro. Caldera Lab. So let's give them some love because I do love Caldera Lab. Um, I love the ingredients, all plant-based ingredients that you understand when you see them on the label. Often I'll pick something up at the grocery store, corner store, wherever you get your skin care. And I'm like, what the heck are all these words and all these ingredients? It sounds like a science experiment. Yeah. And our skin's our biggest organ. You know, we've heard you are what you eat, but I like to think, you know, you are what you put on your skin, considering some would say our skin's our, our second mouth, even if that sounds a little little creepy but you are what you put in your skin so what are you putting on your skin is yeah. it a bunch of chemicals that were made in a science lab or is it a bunch of natural plant-based ingredients that are from the earth you know something that could just as easily be a smoothie as a skincare line that's what i'm here for yeah and like you said dean the proof is in i wouldn't say pudding but in how uh, how great you're looking so well, thank you too my friend you too well thank you thank you so if uh if our listeners want to have the glow of dean morris how can uh <laughs> how can one get down with that yeah yeah if you if you want your friends to look at you and be like wow you look younger which is i gotta admit it was a nice it was a nice feeling um all you gotta do is go to calderalab.com and use our code more good and you're gonna get 20 percent off your product orders right now, which is incredible. It's the best deal you're gonna find. It's 20% off with code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. Calderalab and honestly, you're not gonna to wanna to miss this. And for anyone who's listening that is like, oh, I don't know if my brother, partner, dad, friend, roommate, neighbor is gonna like this. Um, honestly, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, it is so nice. It's just, this process is simple. It's something that is going to make a big difference and it makes a great gift. Um, so yeah, check it out. CalderaLab.com. Get 20% off with code MOREGOOD. Get on that skincare game and get those compliments rolling in. All right, Dina. We're all about stacking habits, you know. It's true. How can one stack their, their healthy habits in the morning? That's right. Well, you want to look good on the outside, but you got to be healthy on the inside. inside and that's out. where AG1 comes into play. We absolutely love it. Um, Zach, I mean, I know that we drink it every day. Like it's part of just, it's my morning ritual, like wake up, come downstairs, 
and AG1 is the first thing that I do. And it's so simple. It's one scoop into water, put it into the bottle. They send you the bottle when you order the package. It's incredible. You just shake it up and drink it. And it's so awesome to know that that one simple thing, it like takes honestly a minute of your life unless you drink it a little bit slower if you want, which you absolutely can because it's really enjoyable. The taste is really good. It's like, yeah, a minute to two minutes and you've just done this incredible habit for yourself. It's simple, it's effective. You got 75 high quality ingredients, whole food sourced, natural vitamins, minerals, probiotic, prebiotic, adaptogens. There's stuff that's gonna help your hair grow, your skin look good, gonna give you help support your immunity, gut health, all of the things that are like central to just being a happy, healthy, functioning human. AG1 has kind of got your baseline covered. And for those reasons, I love it. All right. So gut health check, focus and energy check, immune health check, healthy aging. It's checking all the boxes. Dina, tell us how we can get some AG1 in our life. Yeah. You're going to want to go to ag1.com. That's drink ag1.com slash more good to grab yours there they're going to give you five free travel packs with your purchase as well as a year supply of immune supporting vitamin d3 so you want to get on it that's drink ag1.com slash more good get it get it my friends get it all right uh before we roll into this uh week's episode which is a good one uh we were just kind of joking around before uh before we hit record as we do and we're talking about sad songs dina because sometimes sad songs make us have all the feels, you know? Mm. You know, we like the happy songs, we like the sports jams, but sometimes a sad song kind of opens a window into uh, into uh, some deeper feeling. And uh, what was your favorite sad song, Dina? My favorite, I think, uh, yeah, I, I love this question because it really um, opens us up to, to sharing and, you know, this conversation kind of is, that's the, that's the gap is it's okay to, to sense those emotions and to feel sad and to walk through that. But I think one of my favorites is uh, fix you by Coldplay. I love that song. I love a good song that just like really hits you in the feels and it's partly hopeful, but it's also like kind of sad. Uh, yeah. I love that song. I'm going to listen to that tonight and yeah. have a tear. Ooh. How about you? What's this? What's the sad song that you uh, like to jam? Okay, I gotta think about this. I know I put you on the spot. The first thing that comes to mind, and this is like an oldie, Damien Rice's whole album. Uh, what was the album called? I think it was called like O or something like that. Mm, yeah. Every song was so emotionally charged, and I just listened to it, and I think like his Irish accent too just uh, felt like a very sad, sad album. I mean, Lauren Hill, X Factor, like uh, if you've ever been through a breakup, that's yeah. like a good song to listen, album to listen to on repeat. Here we go. There's some sadness for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of some other ones too. Should I just look up saddest songs of all time? Yeah. What's, what's, uh, I feel like, like Leonard Cohen has some really oh, yeah, classic, yeah. like, like melancholy kind of sad songs. You know, you can listen to it and be like, oh, and it just like carries that heaviness. Yeah. Johnny Cash. Hurt. Oh, Hurt. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. That's a good one. You know who recently I've listened to some of their songs because uh, sadly they they um, passed away. And some of their songs are so good, but like so powerful, but carries such a heavy, heavy sadness to them is Sinead O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's, there's a haunting to her music. Oh. And just like the, her story, like I think knowing her story and how she was kind of like this rebellious person who like resisted 
all of the trappings of being like a female kind of pop singer around that the time that she was really really you know big on the scene um yeah there's just like a depth of kind of like angst and sadness and frustration like in so many of her songs but I remember listening to them this summer like after her passing and I was like oh it doubles down on the tragedy that she was such a brilliant artist yeah she was yeah okay one more I'm thinking of and then we can get into the episode yeah um Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. Oh, yeah. That one just sad because I'm a dad <laughs> and I've got a dad. It just like hits, you know? It's yes. like, if you don't know the song, it's about a boy that wants to hang out with his dad, but his dad's always too busy. And then he gets older and his dad wants to hang out with him because now his dad's retired and has time, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, now the son's too busy to hang out with his dad. And it's just like kind of the Shakespearean tragedy of father-son, but it's it's true, you know? Yeah. So uh, fathers make time for your for your sons and your daughters. And daughters. There you go. John Mayer. There you go. Shut up. All right. Yeah. Okay. Who do we got this week? Man, this week we're excited to uh, to share this episode. We sat down with Connor Beaton. Uh, really, really awesome conversation we shared with him. Uh, you might recognize him. He's been featured on tons of uh, publications, the CBC here in Canada, Forbes, TED, CBS. Um, he's even done work with the United Nations and um, the Good Men Project. Does a lot to help men understand the importance of tapping into feelings, emotions, mental health, that space of wellness and, and facing, you know, our darkness, facing our shadow and not just repressing it and, you know, uh, engaging in behaviors that might you know, mask or try to cover up these things, but really to engage. And, and, uh, he's great. He invites men to consider, you know, this important men's work of healing and becoming the best versions of ourselves, not necessarily as, as therapy, but it's like training, right? So it's more like masculine rephrasing. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just really appreciated, uh, having this conversation with him talking about things like healthy masculinity, ways to um, live as a man in this world and to really um, unpack these things like rites of passage and, and live into vulnerability. And um, yeah, I, I just took away so much personally from this conversation. I can't wait to like run it back again a couple of times to, to really mine it for all, all of its gold. But um, yeah. I think this one resonated quite a bit for myself because I think, you know, we talk about this, Dean, as, as, as men as we age, you know, I think men kind of gravitate more towards solitude and less mm -hmm. towards community. And, and uh, it's important to have a community and, and sometimes a, a male community where you can kind of share some of this masculinity, that this healthy masculinity that we go through. Um, anyways, I, I really enjoyed connecting with Connor. I think his work's important. I think uh, we need to raise good good boys and good men in this world. Um, and I think Connor is, is one of those individuals that is lighting a path of, of possibility. And uh, I'm excited for you guys to all listen to this one. Yeah, and we know you're going to dig um, what he's what he's putting down in this episode. And if you want to find him, check him out on Instagram at Man Talks. He has his own podcast as well, too, that you can find, the Man Talks podcast. Um, so make sure you, you jump on the socials and give him a follow. Check out his work because... Um, yeah, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna click into this. And if you have a man, if you are a man, if you have friends, if you have a man in your life that you think would benefit from this conversation, just uh, make sure you share it with them. It's nice and easy. Click the share button wherever you're listening to this. Send it in a text. Send it in a DM, and uh, get someone to listen in. And and you can even go for coffee and talk about these things as a couple of men, as some friends, as brothers, as fathers and sons, as 
cousins is just yeah neighbors so um be sure to check him out connor beaton man talks let's uh let's let's let it roll all right here we go all right everyone welcome back to another episode of a little more good we are really excited today to sit down and have this conversation with uh the one and only connor beaton connor's thank you uh for joining the show you're the founder of man talks uh, it's an international men's movement focused on health wellness success fulfillment um, and you've been doing this work for for well over a decade um helping men with uh, understanding who we are, why we are the way we are, and how we can kind of uh, understand ourselves to become better versions of the people we are uh, on journey to becoming. So um, we're excited to dive in as a couple of a couple of guys here, uh, always curious to learn and grow and seeking new wisdom. And um, we know that uh, you are a great source of it. So thank you for making time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's great to be getting interviewed by two fellow Canadians. Like, you know, just before you're like, Diener's going to bring us in the 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 Diener, you know, yes. ER at the end. I was like, Oh, man, like, I just <laughs> just pour some maple syrup onto the conversation. and Let's go. Oh, man, you know, you'll be happy to hear that this morning woke up with my two young boys. And uh, we had some waffles with a side of maple syrup. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so good i mean i've i've done you know with the book launch and everything i think i've done like well over 100 interviews now and uh, most of them are with shows in the in the united states or in the uk or australia and stuff like that and so it's nice to be on be on a canadian podcast and just hear the the accent of my people yes <laughs> no no do to boot it eh <laughs> <laughs> Just play into all the stereotypes. After this, That's we're gonna it. go. Just... We're gonna go play some shinny out on the street. And... <laughs> right. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. yeah. Well, well, there's so much we want to unpack today. I think just kind of playing around with that idea of Canadian American. Like, I think there are different ideas of masculinity in these two countries too. Like, there's like the outdoorsman in Canada that chops down wood and wears flannel, and like it's more of an outdoors masculinity. Um, I feel like in the states, you can kind of tell me. You've experienced both. It's more like a power, financial, um, like independence, uh, masculinity of, of, you know, sovereignty, uh, kind of a different, different uh, stereotype of the masculine man from these two countries. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the in the West, generally, <clears throat> you know, there's different versions of what I what I call one one dimensional masculinity, right, where you sort of have to adhere to a very rigid uh, standard or construct in order to fall into what it means to be a man. And we can get lost in in those standards sometimes. And I mean, it definitely was interesting. I, I grew up in Northern Alberta and usually how I describe it to Americans is like, it's the Texas of Canada yes. because there's a lot of similarities. You know, there's big oil, there's big trucks, there's lots of cowboys, there's cowboy music. You know, Alberta probably has the most guns out of any province <laughs> in Canada. Um, but it was interesting moving to the U.S. and being immersed in the media cycle and, you know, commentary about men. And I mean, just the affiliation with with firearms here, you know, with with guns, especially. Um, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily connected to men. I think that's more a nationalistic thing and what it means to be an American, um, which is fascinating. And 
I don't necessarily think that we need to get too off topic on on that yeah. front, but um, but I think that there's some there's some overlap for sure, you know, in how we as Canadians or we as Americans have viewed the sort of traditional masculinity. And you know, one of the things that I've written about is uh, what I call the one rule of men, which is very similar to the the first rule of Fight Club, which is you don't talk about it, right? You don't talk about Fight Club. And, uh, you know, growing up in in central or northern Alberta, that the one rule of men is you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who's struggling. And uh, you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who is feeling weak or suffering. And I, I think that that is kind of universal. And, you know, there's a few different areas that that may have branched off from, but I think that's something that many of us have had to sort of buck against, you know, against the, the social norm that there's strength and suppression and that just avoiding stuff somehow magically makes you stronger which it absolutely doesn't yeah so yeah but i think that i think that that's kind of the commonality right the outer stuff might be different but i think the internal stuff that that narrative of one-dimensional masculinity is, is definitely a part of um north american culture canadian and american yeah yeah i i would agree like i think the manifestation of of how it comes out might be in the person who's chasing like high finance or the person who is looking to be that rugged outdoor individualistic, you know, person uh, making their own path or whatever. But either, however it comes out, I think the fundamental uh, similarity is exactly what you were touching on. And, and that idea of like, well, this is, this is at the core fundamentally what it means to be a man. It's like you, you're not weak. You don't show emotion. You don't, talk about the struggle and you kind of suppress and push things out. And certainly like that was my experience, like growing up, like, uh, mm. you know, I can met like many of us probably from a certain age demographic, like you can re remember maybe one time you saw your dad cry and it was kind of like that stoic single tear and then like, you know, suppressing it. And then yeah. we get those messages as kids like, oh, you know, the classic line, boys don't cry. And so then we we pursue whatever it is, our gifting, our passions, we pursue those things with that underlying truth, air quotes, right? Mm. That like, this is fundamentally who we are as men. We don't talk about these things, we push them down. And so I think that's why it's so important that you're doing the work that you're doing is like helping men to see that this this one rule is not actually helping us. Yeah, and that, and that we can be... I mean, there's many different ways to say it, but like we can be bigger than that in some in some ways, you know, and what what's fascinating to me is that if you go into any therapeutic modality, any spiritual or religious modality, what you'll find is this inherent understanding that suppression or avoidance leads to suffering. It's just a foundational truth. But within male and masculine culture in the last few decades, maybe the last century, we've adopted this notion. And again, it's for many reasons, right? I mean, I think a lot, I think there's just been a tremendous amount of trauma that was birthed out of World War I and World War II, you know, the Vietnam War, um, et cetera, that has permeated into our culture as men. You know, that you think about the millions of guys that went off and fought the war and what they had to suppress and ignore in order to just survive. And then those men came back and, you know, were fathers 
to the future generations of sons. And I think that we're still working our way through that um, along with, uh, you know, a myriad of other uh, factors that that play into it. But I think that we're st we're starting to emerge from that. You know, I think that our culture, I think that the men are, are within North America are really starting to emerge from that. And and the the knowledge that it's OK to want to be the rugged flannel wearing wood shopping, you know, dude, like I, I love that, you know, I love doing some archery in my backyard and, and chopping wood and wearing my flannel coat. I bought my, I bought my two-year-old son a matching flannel coat, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to rep my Canadian heritage, you know, in America. But, but I can also have very open, you know, emotional conversations with the men in my life and, mm. and sit around the fire and, and talk about where I'm struggling. And, and I don't have to be limited to this, um, yeah, this sort of like one dimensional way of being that can, that can sometimes be a trap, you know, I guess kind of zeroing in on world war one, world war two, Vietnam war, Korean war, there's this century. I mean, really since the history of, of modern humanity is a, a story of war. So, and, and passing on that, that trauma and that, um, that, masculinity in the warrior you know the physical warrior um can you talk about pain as the path you've got this incredible quote in your book that our wounds are the doorway to rediscovering our true nature from paul levy um i think often when we get into pain we can go into a fight or a flight or a freeze or just wanting to retreat from that feeling to something that feels secure and safe but can you talk about pain as the doorway to rediscovering our true nature yeah i mean in in the beginning of the i think the first line of the book is a man's work begins in pain mm. and you know the reason for that in some ways is because it's the thing that we have been taught to avoid the most and and like i said avoidance leads to suffering right I ignoring the abuse that we experienced as a child is going to lead to more suffering, you know, ignoring the trauma that we experienced, you know, because of a, a coach or, you know, an accident that we were in, it, that's just going to lead to more suffering. And so I think that we, we often underestimate that there's an inherent value in us as men beginning to understand how to heal, that that's an asset not only to us but to the women in our lives the children in our lives the other men in our lives the culture the community that we inhabit you know when we can model what it looks like to maybe i'll put this another way when you look at men within our culture and our society a lot of them are defined by their pain you know, you look at somebody like Tiger Woods and what he went through, uh, you know, with his divorce, you look at somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you look at, at pretty much any, any man in our modern culture, and he has been shaped in some way by his suffering, right? David Goggins, another example, he's become who he is today because he's turned his trauma into a kind of purpose, you know, a mission. And so we can either succumb to that pain, we can live a life of avoidance, trying to run from it and hide from it, or we can begin to slowly turn towards it and confront it. And in doing so, in being able to turn towards the 
you know, being a kid who experienced a divorce and not getting to spend time with your dad or never knowing your father or, you know, being a being a young man who was bullied in school, whatever, whatever your unique path was, you're going to have to learn the tools to carry that pain more effectively. And you're going to have to learn the tools to communicate your own hurt. And like I said in the book, it's easier for a man to say, fuck you, than it is to say I'm hurt. And so if we can balance that out a little bit, we will have done something monumental for ourselves and for the people around us because, you know, there's the cliche saying of hurt people hurt people. So if you are a man who's just in pain all the time and you're not acknowledging it, you're not talking about it, you're not learning to work on it, you're, you're not learning to confront it or be with it or share it, then you're going to pass it on. It's just a, it's just a fact. It's just an inevitability. And I think logically we all know this. And so the world doesn't necessarily need more men who are hurting and in pain and not willing to deal with it. We have plenty of that. What the world needs right now is for men to step up and say, I'm willing to confront the part of me that's, that's really hurting and to figure out how to heal, how to communicate it, how to um, hear when other people are hurt and find empathy towards it. So I, I think that there's many different aspects of this, but if, if I could just sort of narrow it down to one final piece, it's that many of the men that I've worked with over the last decade feel like they're losing, they, they, they don't have a sense of purpose or meaning in life. And what I have found unequivocally time and time again, is that when we do this work, we find a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in life. That actually the avoidance of our hurt and our suffering and our pain is the thing that is blocking us from a deeper sense of purpose. And that when we start to work on this element of ourselves, we can alchemize that hurt and pain into something meaningful and re-contribute to society and community in a way that we otherwise were stunted and incapable of doing before. So I know I just said a bunch there. I'll, I'll pause. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, there's a few things. There's a few things that that really stand out there as you're speaking. I was thinking about you know this current kind of trend that we're seeing um, online and and in the gyms around or whatever is this this move towards you know uh, fitness, which has always been there, but endurance athletics or strength training, and coupled with that is this desire to do things like breath work and the ice baths and like sauna and you know it's kind of all of these modalities are having a moment and I think that they're all really positive and they can help kind of crack us open, but in a lot of ways like these things are good things that are maybe taking the place of like the really important work that needs to do like you can take a thousand ice ice baths but if you don't deal with the trauma from your childhood like you're still going to be maybe a, a lesser version of yourself than what you what you want to be so um you have this great slide on your on your instagram or post on the instagram like you know WTF is men's work anyway. So if we if we start with this idea of like acknowledging that there's pain in our lives and that's kind of the, the starting point, that's going to be the thing that motivates us. Like what is the work then that we need to lean into? And I mean, you do a beautiful job in your book and through your yeah, um, courses and, and website and everything. But like, can we just kind of spend a few minutes talking on that? Like for someone, if this is brand new, like what is this work that we need to step into? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a good question. I wish I had like a one sentence, you know, tweetable <laughs> answer for you. Um, but I think in in some ways, it's an amalgamation of vulnerability and competency. 
And, you know, I think the modern therapeutic narrative that a lot of men see and receive tells them to just open up, just talk, just be more vulnerable, and that that will be the, the sort of solution to a lot of their problems. And that's true to some degree, but it's only part of the equation. You know, part of the work that we need to do, and maybe I'll just, I'll bring Carl Jung into it, because in, in, in the book, I talk a bit about Carl Jung and, and the shadow and whatnot. But he, you know, he had this great line in one of his books where he said the first step to any therapeutic process and the first step to any religious or spiritual process is confession. And, and so I think that that's the journey where a lot of us as men need to start because it's the thing that we are absolutely terrified of. You know, it really is like the amount of men who wait until their life implodes, you know, their marriage blows up, their business uh, blows up, they have to file for bankruptcy, they, whatever it is, simply because they wouldn't tell anybody that they were struggling, that they were hurting, that, that things weren't going well. You know, the amount of men who wait for that to happen before they just admit that something's wrong is way too high. So I think part of the answer is, you know, our work as men is to be able to get to uh, admission faster, to get to the admission that something isn't okay. So that's part, that's part of it. The second part is we need to be able to heal our connection and relationship with men and the masculine just in general. So many of us have been hurt by other men, uh, whether that's our fathers or, you know, the male role models, guys that we went to school with. And so a lot of men are carrying a very deep mistrust about being a man in the first place or being masculine in the first place, that it's somehow inherently bad or toxic or wrong. And so a lot of men have devalued male relationships and they just don't trust other men. They don't bring those their problems to them. They don't see the value in them as much as female relationships. And so I think the second part of the equation is being able to develop what I call more depth-oriented relationships with other men. And we can see this in the data, right? That uh, I think it's 40 years ago, you know, in the 80s, um, the average man, like 55 to 65% of men had six or more close friends. And today that's dropped down to like 24% of men say that they have six or more close friends. And 15% of men say that they don't have one close friend, right? So isolation has become really rampant within our culture and really problematic specifically within young men because you have you know, 63% of young men between the ages of 18 and 29 are single and not dating. 63%. Wow. I mean, that's an astronomical number. So when you add up, these young men aren't dating. They don't have a lot of friends. Um, they, you know, maybe are still living at home. They're not going to college, right? They're, we're, we're amassing sort of online connections where young men aren't connected to other guys. You know, and, and that goes for most age range brackets. I know I just sort of picked on the 18 to 29 <laughs> bracket, but so building really good depth oriented male friendships, I think is a second part of it. And then the last part of it is developing competency, you know, feeling capable at certain things. I, I think that's a hugely under indexed value, you know, that we as men want to feel like we're competent, whether that's communicating to our partners initiating intimacy, 
um, you know, with our finances, doing our taxes, building a business, uh, you know, honing our bodies, woodworking in our hobbies and our arts and our crafts and whatnot. We want to feel competent. And so I think that there's also value in part of men's work is finding the areas of our lives that are meaningful to us, that we want to invest time, energy, and effort towards to actually develop some kind of mastery, because we know from a, a biological standpoint, that feedback loop helps us produce more human growth hormone and testosterone and uh, releases dopamine and serotonin production. And all of that helps us actually feel good about ourselves. And so when we can find somewhere that we want to contribute to society and we can find things that we actually want to develop competencies and capabilities around, that actually is very rewarding for us, both individually, but also socially. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the high level areas. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That, uh, competency well, confession and acknowledging like, you know, who we are and what we are, uh, finding that purpose or passion and then competency towards something. And then, and then if I'm hearing you right, like community doing it in, in group with yeah. other, with other men kind of as individuals, but kind of on, on purpose, on mission together, so to speak. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Connor, I'm curious uh, on your take with, um, you mentioned the decline of, of men in society and, and, you know, I've got, as I mentioned, two young boys and, and there's a lot of language in media and society about um, toxic masculinity, demonizing the patriarchy. And I think, you know, if we look at the system, it's, it's flawed, it's damaging, like the patriarchy, there's, there's a lot of systemic issues. But I think when we use this, this blanket generalized language, we take the individuals out of the factor. And when we look at communities, that's what, that's the, what we are. We are individuals. We aren't, um, you and I and Dean aren't, uh, and our, our children aren't necessarily toxic masculinity. There could be traits within the system that are toxic but as individuals we are all just individuals so how do we how do we teach these young boys these young men um to how do we reprogram and reteach the language so that we can evolve past these systems that are damaging and become thriving individuals within these systems and kind of re tell that story yeah how do we fix society yes yes <laughs> it's just a very it's, it's a light small question yeah in 30 <laughs> seconds or less if you could no. <laughs> right, right 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 and how can i how can i answer it and include maple syrup or beavers <laughs> yeah I, I mean i guess to to ease things like i don't necessarily know any of us have the answers of how to fix things but how do we shift this story so that our, our boys don't grow up thinking that masculinity is toxic yeah no i i love the i love the question i'm just you know i'm i'm making light of and at the same time trying to point to the importance of what you're asking you know i, I think it is part of the question i think in many ways um you know it's probably an unpopular thing to say. I don't think that there is any such thing as toxic masculinity. You know, I think that there's toxic behavior. I think that there's men who act in toxic ways. But I think that when we start to categorize things like masculinity as shame, and we don't do that with femininity, right? 
So when we start to categorize these things, which are largely amoral, right? Masculinity and femininity, they are amoral things. So when we start to, uh, to look at them from a morality perspective, I think that we start to shift things in, in kind of a negative way. But so I think that, I think that there's men who act toxically. I think that there's behaviors that can be toxic. Um, but I don't think that masculinity is inherently toxic and I don't think there's such a thing as toxic masculinity. And I would, I would debate anybody that can try and prove to me that using the term toxic masculinity has produced anything positive period right? This is the problem. Like what we know in the psychological field and in the therapeutic fields and in the spiritual fields is that as soon as you label something as so inherently bad or toxic that you need to rid yourself of it, you create this kind of paradoxical um, quagmire where you are suddenly working against something that is inherent to who you are. Right. So if I say, oh, my inner critic, I hate my inner critic. I got to get rid of my inner critic. I'm empowering that part of me. Right. That's the, that's the outcome that happens. And so when you look at the byproduct of all of this commentary about toxic masculinity, what's happened is that in, in response to that, a lot of men have checked out from just being masculine or wanting to even, um, you know, wanting to know what it's like to be a healthy grounded man, because we don't have a lot of role models. But the other, the other consequence is that a lot of men rebel against it, right? So a lot of men will then try and disprove it and fight against it. And, you know, it, it just creates more division and, and conflict, I would say, than anything else. So I think one of the pathways that we need to take is we need to stop this demonization of masculinity, you know? men are not hairy women and it's not again a, like i maybe i'm saying inflammatory things i don't know <laughs> i don't think i am generally um but like men aren't hairy women and so we can't expect men to operate in this kind of over feminized way and i think that part of the issue that we've found ourselves in is that <clears throat> there's this very female approach to defining what it means to be a man you know, and what it means to be male and what it means to be masculine and that the approval of whether you are a good man or not is largely handed out by women in our culture and society. Now, I think that that is actually our fault as men. I think that that is largely our responsibility as men. I think we need to take that one on the chin because I think we have largely stepped out of the role of being a healthy model as a man for our sons and for other boys within our culture and our society. And how do I know that? I know that because one in four kids are going to grow up without a father in the household. 2% of kindergarten teachers are men. 29% of school teachers are men. If you look in the therapeutic industry, it's about the same, right? 29% of psychologists are men and even less are therapists. So a lot of young boys are growing up in an environment where they just don't even see men, period. They don't even see what it looks like to be a good man or to be a grounded man or to be a healthy man. And so I think that when this conversation of toxic masculinity, I know I, maybe I feel like I sound like I'm on a soapbox or something, but I feel like when this topic comes up, my natural inclination is to say, it's not that we need less masculinity. It's that we actually need more men who are embodying healthy masculinity 
to represent what that multi-dimensional version can look like that I can go out and chop wood and come in and teach my son how to do, you know, light a fire with Flint, but then also talk to him about how he's feeling and that I can be emotional in front of him and that I can, you know, deal with my anger and tell him that I'm having a tough day or talk about, you know, my, my own sadness and that all of that is, is meaningful and something that a man does. So yeah, I mean, maybe you can ask a follow-up question on that, but I, I think um, I think in many ways we need more modeling of healthy men for young boys because how are you how are you supposed to grow up and be a healthy, grounded man if you never see what it looks like? You know, I mean, it's just it's just that we're creating impossibilities for the young boys that are in our culture today. Yeah, well, that's really good, Connor. I appreciate you saying all that. It's kind of, I have two questions. The first one comes back to the point of like uh, how we as men have kind of collectively put ourselves in the position that the people in our society who are kind of upholding what masculine masculinity ought to be are our sisters and, you know, the, the females in our in our world and how maybe that's not 100% okay. Um I'm curious to know, I know you, you, you've done a lot, uh, with like Carl Jung and his work and he has like the anima and animus. And I think you were just, you were just getting to that when you were giving your example about, you know, chopping wood and then going in and talking to your son. Um, is there a bit of a pendulum swing where we as men leaned away from the feminine side of ourselves and became maybe like hyper-masculine, not necessarily mm. toxic, but hyper-masculine, not focused on the pieces of ourselves that would be more of the um, anima, the feminine energy. And now there's a move to really like the pendulum is swung too far where the idealized version of a man is one that maybe suppresses those more masculine traits and embraces the more feminine. Do you think that's an accurate kind of uh, representation and that we actually, to be healthy, we need to embrace what's masculine in us as well as what's feminine in us? Yeah. Yes. Really well said. I also love that you did your homework. <laughs> you know, the fact that you're talking about anima and animus is, is impressive to say the least. Um, yeah, I, you know, I always try and approach this from a place of wholeness, you know, and in, in like the, the gestalt modality within the Jungian modality, like Carl Jung really was, somebody who fundamentally believe in the concept of wholeness and you know the anima and the animus represent the masculine and the feminine within and i think that in many ways we've culturally attached um masculinity to certain political religious ideologies um and and that has a consequence and be, i think because of that there are many men that are out there who have disconnected from their own feminine nature, right? So we have we have sort of like two big things that are happening culturally within our society. We have a large subset of men who have disconnected from their masculinity and they've over-prioritized being more feminine in nature to get the approval of women, to fit in socially, to belong, um, you know, maybe because they're afraid of being masculine, maybe because they don't know what it looks like. Um, and there's many reasons for it. So they've disconnected from their masculinity and they've over-prioritized being more feminine in nature. And on the other side, we have guys who have rebelled against that. And they are the sort of, you know, 
the the classic like Marlboro man, right? Of I'm just going to be only masculine and I will not get near any feminine traits or quality or anything that I consider to be uh, you know, female or feminine or something that women do. And if we look from an anthropological standpoint, you can actually look back. And if you look at the cultures of men that have existed over time, and this isn't to idealize the past, right? I don't think that we need to return to the past or anything like that. Um, I'm not, I'm definitely not advocating for that. Like, let's move forward. Um, but when you look at even something like um, Spartan warriors, as an example, the boys at a very young age were taken away for warrior training at like the age of, you know, eight to 10. But part of the thing that was required for those boys is they, you know, they would go through hand to hand combat, they'd go through weapons combat, they would go through defensive combat, they would, you know, they would fight as a group and learn to fight as a group. But then in the afternoons, they would learn about poetry and dancing and singing and oration right? And all of these beautiful things that reminded them that there's more to life than simply just, you know, being this, this like savage that can go and kill and protect and destroy. And so I think there's still a little bit of, of this divisiveness that has shown up within our culture that tells men specifically, and, and sometimes for women as well, you know, you need to be this one way or the other way. And it's very polarizing. And I'm always suspect of anybody or anything that says you need to be this one way because it's it's a lack of being able to integrate these parts of ourselves that naturally exist. You know, and that's something that I've always tried to strive for. You know, like when I was a I'll just give one example and I'll turn it back over to you. I was a motorcycle riding opera singer. <laughs> right. So Talk about the duality, right? I've, I've always tried to live my life in such a way where I've curated the feminine qualities and aspects within myself or the things that we would normally associate with the feminine, not women, but the feminine just in general or the anima uh, in general, right? So art, literature, creativity, you know, this sort of expression um, that uh, community building that is oftentimes correlated to the feminine. But I've also really tried to explore the more masculine traits, right? Developing a sense of assertiveness, being direct. Like I've gotten so many comments about my book about how my, my writing is very direct, <laughs> um, you know, and being very sort of grounded and, and poised and somebody that people can rely on under any circumstances. And so I think that we as just human beings in general, need to return or find ourselves on a path where we can prioritize developing this duality within us and and not this hyper prioritization of i need to be only masculine and i won't go near anything that i think is more feminine or i need to disconnect from things that are masculine so hopefully that answers your question yeah no that's really good that's that's helpful to know i think it's important um for for men especially but also i like i like the the nod to to the women as well that they equally don't have to be just the feminine right. like there we can be we should can and should be both and embody both parts of of those to to move towards wholeness um i suppose the second part of the question that i that i'd love to pick your brain on and i know you've done some some working on this and it's something that's um i've done i've done some work on as well out of my own kind of curiosity and some study is 
the idea and you touched on it with like the the spartan youth and even teaching like our own kids is like what about the ideas in society about like rites of passage or or these transitions where a community says to a young person usually a young male but it also happens with women as well but for the sake of this conversation a community of men bestow upon a young person the the kind of idea or give them the invitation to say, okay, now you have stepped into, or you are stepping into manhood. You've gone through this, you know, here in Canada with our, with our indigenous populations like vision quests or spirit quests um, and other, obviously like bar mitzvahs in Jewish culture. Like there's that, that movement. I feel like in our Western world, we don't have a lot of ritual. And when Mm -hmm. I just kind of anecdotally surveyed my, friends and ask them, Hey, when was the moment you became a man? I got lessons or or, or, uh, answers ranging from like, I don't know when I got my driver's license. First time I got laid when I moved out, like, and it was kind of all over the place, but every person said, yeah, I might be that, but I don't think like there was no certainty. There was nobody was like, this was the moment that I like stepped into quote unquote manhood. What, yeah. what would you have us learn or pay attention to when it comes to those rites of passages or those important transitions from adolescence into more of like a, a masculine living? Yeah, oh, I love this. Um, I think just, I just want to emphasize one thing before we even get into that, um, which is sometimes to talk about men in our modern culture and the work that men can step into or the challenges that men are facing can be perceived as being uh like anti-women or not for women and i just want to make it super clear that i'm all about for women you know my um uh, so i just want to make that super clear because i think in in some in some cases i've seen that happen where you know it's like well if you're talking about how men are struggling then you must not be worried about how women are struggling as well and i think this is one of those both end situations that we need to be talking about both of these things simultaneously and that we can't just talk about one and not the other so i just wanted to put put that out on the radar what well, to as truly initi- to, to truly embrace that masculinity is to have care and compassion for the opposite gender right. from us right like absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Initiation is is interesting because if you look again historically at and, and from an anthropological sense, I don't know. I'm struggling to say that word today. Maybe too much coffee this morning. Um, if you look from a historical standpoint, initiation has played a very crucial and vital role. And you know, for for a lot of young boys and for a lot of cultures you had to go something to step out of boyhood and into manhood. You had to create a kind of demarcation so that a young boy knew that he was stepping into manhood. And and there's a few very important things that correlate to it. And Richard Rohr, who is a wonderful, um, I think he's Franciscan, a Franciscan monk, had a great quote where he said, uh, unless a young man is brought on a journey of powerlessness. He will always abuse power. So what is initiation? Initiation is meant to bring a young man through an experience where he experiences powerlessness, where he can't conquer, he can't dominate, he can't desecrate, and he can't overcome what he's facing. He might make it through the experience, but he will be 
psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and physically humbled in a way that is very intentional. And if that doesn't happen, and we can see this in our society and our culture today, if when that doesn't happen, a young man has no no real response than to try and get a sense of his own power, right? His own sense of potency. And so he might lash out, he might act out, he might disconnect from it entirely and just not even bother with it, you know, and just play video games until he's 60 years old, smoking weed and watching porn and just completely plug out, you know, unplug from society. Um, but we need this in some ways. And if you look culturally, and some people disagree with this, but if you look culturally over, you know, the millennia, young men didn't be like, you just didn't become a man until you crossed that threshold. And the cultures were actually designed in such a way where you had to go through this experience in order to have stepped into uh, being a man in the eyes of the community. Because everyone, there's kind of like this unspoken knowing that has existed for a very long time that if a man doesn't go through some sort of initiation, he will try and create one for himself. And this is where I'm going to tie it into my life and the life of a lot of men in our culture today. I didn't have that in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think most of us did. And some men deal with it better than others. I did not deal with it well. How I dealt with it was womanizing and cheating and pornography and alcohol and, you know, drugs and driving 320 kilometers an hour on my motorcycle through the streets and, you know, on the highways and, and just being, just doing reckless shit. And I created my own quote unquote pseudo initiation in my life by creating a rock bottom. So what a lot of men will do is when they, when they don't have an initiation properly in their life, they will create their own to see if they can bounce back from the pit of their life. So to kind of test themselves in a way, because we need tests, right? Part of masculinity is that we, it likes being tested. It wants to know where it, its edge is. And there's a, there's an excitement about that. It's part of our nature. And so, and again, some men, you know, desire this more than others, but I definitely was constantly testing an edge and seeing where my boundaries were and the the parameters for my own potency in life. And so I created this rock bottom that just wiped out my life. It destroyed my career, my relationship. I mean, just everything. And then I had to come back from that. And it really was a kind of initiation. Now, had I have gone through that, if I had gone through a, a real initiation as a young boy, I would say probably not, maybe. But I think the chances would have been significantly less. And the last thing I'm going to say is that outside of have teaching a man how to be in proper relationship with his own power and potency, which is important, I would, I would say everybody would probably agree with that. The other part of initiation is that the result of the initiation, it's not a personal development thing, right? When, when you go on a vision quest, vision quest, it's not a personal growth thing. You know, it's not a self-help thing. Like if you're going into a vision quest for that reason, you are going to get humbled. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to face some stuff. Um, the real, the real purpose and potency of an initiation is that you return to the culture more capable of contributing to the culture and the community than you were before. 
And I think that's what we're starting to see in today's culture is that a lot of men are checking out from it, checking out from relationships, checking out from college, checking out from culture altogether because they don't feel like there's a place for them in the culture that we currently inhabit. And, and why is that? Largely, I would argue, because we're missing these initiatory practices, these rites of passage that would help a young man see where he can contribute, where he belongs within our society. Um, you know, outside of the, you know, go and be a real estate agent in Vancouver or, you know, run a hedge fund in, in New York or something like that. And so, yeah, so I'll, I'll pause there because I know I just said a bunch of pieces. <laughs> Just reflecting on on this, the the rites of passage. I think it's so important to to try to find find these. Like one of my my goals is to take my boys to go uh, trekking in the Himalayas when they're twelve or thirteen. Um, but thinking about brotherhood and how I grew up, um, I was fortunate to play a lot of sports, so I had that inherent brotherhood in 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 teams and sport and basketball and soccer and. And I learned a lot through that collaborative effort of, of a common goal of working together, the highs, the lows, learning to lose, learning to win. Um, and then as I've gotten older and I don't play any sports, I've kind of lost that that masculine connection of, of a brotherhood. You know, I've got a few friends that I will speak deeply with, but there isn't that, that group. Um, can you kind of comment on, in your experience, I know you've done done a lot of group work, the spirituality of, of brotherhood, of connecting with a group of men with a common goal or, or, or purpose together? Yeah, that's a really good question. I like that you use the word spirituality. You know, I think there is a quality to the masculine spirit that culturally we're missing right now. You know, I, I think from a like mythopoetic standpoint, we're going through, the West is going through the death of the hero, you know, that the archetype of the hero, the, the sort of male masculine hero is, is really suffering. And there's the rise of the, the heroine, right. Of the, of the female hero, but the, there's the death of the hero that's happening. And, you know, when you get around other men and you you are challenging one another and you're out in nature together, whatever it is you're doing, right? Building fires, going surfing, you know, cold plunging in the ocean, going for hikes, whatever, whatever it is. Um, there is this, there is this quality of, of spirit and connection and camaraderie that is hard to describe. And I think we have under-indexed and undervalued the, the like nutritional quality that that offers to us as men, you know, that there's something in our bodies, in our minds. Like I, I like to think that, you know, our, our brains have serotonin and, and dopamine receptors, right? So they can receive those neurochemicals. And I like to think that our soul has these kinds of uh, receptors that receive certain spiritual qualities and emotional qualities. And when you're with other men sitting around the campfire, there's this ancient feeling 
that you experience, especially after a long day where, you know, you guys chopped that wood and you, you know, built the, the camp that you're in, you know, after hiking for however many miles and having conversation and, and being in nature, like there's just something that you receive. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And I think the other part of it, which I've, I've been talking more with the men in my groups about lately is that we've, we've almost like surgically removed this ability and willingness to tend for one another as men, you know, to tend to each other. And it's a different way of relating. You know, if you tell me your problems and you say to me, you know, here's what's happening with one of my boys. He's really sick. And, you know, I, I'm really struggling with it. I'm scared for him and I don't know how to deal with it. And da, da, da. It's different for me to say, ah, it's really hard. That sounds tough, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Versus the tending to you as your brother, as a friend and being able to empathize and then being able to show up for you when you're not asking me to, to call you, to text you, to check in on you, to show up at your door with food, to help you care for your son. You know, we're communal as well. And so I think that that sort of tending to one another needs to re-enter into our relationships because there's a there's a quality to that as well that I think that we as men are craving, you know, that that we are sort of like deficient in nutritionally. <laughs> I don't know why I keep using that analogy or word, but it feels, um, it feels accurate. And, and so all the work that, it, like when I bring a, a group of men together and we do a men's weekend or whatever it is that we do, you know, part of it is just conversation around the fire. Part of it is depth work, you know, going through the heavy lifting of maybe some of the traumas that the men have faced in their life or the, the pain that they've dealt with the, the, you know, decisions that they've made that have really hurt their life to try and help them make sense of it. But when, when we do that, uh, together as men, it, it heals our relationship to the masculine. It heals our relationship to being a man because and I don't know who said this, I got to go find it, but we're hurt in relationship. And so we have to heal in relationship. And so one of the most, um, like fulfilling and rewarding things that we can do if part of our wounding has been with men you know that we've been betrayed by other men we've been abused by other men we've been neglected or abandoned by other men our fathers our coaches our you know friends growing up is to heal alongside other men and that can come in many forms you know part of it is group work and and shadow work and depth work and the other part of it that can be incredibly nourishing is is just spending time with other guys supporting them tending to them, serving them. So I think those are the two elements that I would say. Mm, I love that. I love that tending to, to other men, tending to your community, you know, going back to the sports, you know, I think about, you know, if one of your teammates was hurt or attacked or put into a vulnerable place, um, you would, you would take care of them. You know, like I actually remember, I'll just give this quick analogy and then, uh, you know, we can start to wrap things up here, but, uh, I remember when my my sister started dating my now uh, brother-in-law, you know, and they've been together for for a long, long time. 
And um, I was always kind of on the fence with the guy, you know, like uh, he wasn't a hundred percent on, on, on board with the relationship. And uh, we played on the same soccer team. Uh, he invited me to play on, on his team. And uh, you know, that was a step in, in connecting and had this moment. It was indoor soccer where I got blindsided from behind and went into the boards awkwardly and kind of like, you know, hurt my head and was kind of, I was hurt. I was down on the ground. And I remember looking up and I saw uh, my brother-in-law, Mike, just come and tackle the guy. And uh, kind of gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Like I, I saw he had my back and he was he was tending to me. He was taking care of me. And uh, it changed how I saw him just from that one that one moment. Um, so I love that analogy of, of tending to, taking care, you know, not just... Um, checking in but showing up you know um well connor i want to i just want to thank you for the work that you do for for men for society for communities i think uh it's necessary it's healing and creating a society that's full and healthy and strong and and nourishing um we do have a closing question that we ask uh, all of our guests um before i, I let dean kind of uh, get to our closing question. I just have one kind of short one that I'd love to know. Uh, we talk about male role models and, and, and father figures. And, uh, I'm just curious, like who are some of your, uh, role models, you know, dead or alive that you look up to for, uh, a healthy sense of masculinity? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I have been very fortunate, you know, I've been very fortunate, um, in the sense that, I struggled with my dad growing up and my stepfather. Um, and my, but my grandfather was an incredible role model for me. Uh, shout out to Norm. <laughs> he, he really was amazing to me in so many ways. And then after my rock bottom, there was a, a man in his uh, early seventies named Bernard, who was a role model to me. Um, there's a man in my life right now named Dewey Freeman. He's one of the m most gifted practitioners. He's one of the most gifted practitioners in Gestalt therapy and developmental psychology. And he's become a mentor and, and close friend of mine. And I've been apprenticing with him now for a while. And then outside of that, you know, Carl Jung is a big one. Um, Terrence McKenna, I, I really love. I think he's he's a wild guy. Um, and I've read most of his work. There's a gentleman named Anthony DeMello, who I really appreciate. Anthony DeMello is this wonderful, um, uh, priest, uh, back in like the eighties and nineties, who was just like, no BS, no nonsense, uh, advice. Sorry about that. Got a, got a little bit of a cough here. That's all right. <laughs> But yeah, those are some of the men that have deeply influenced my life. Very cool. I think um, as we as we bring it to a close, yeah, I just want to again echo uh, Zach and say thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, to anyone who's listening, uh, that's a man or knows a man, <laughs> make sure make sure you check out uh, Connor on Instagram at Man Talks because uh, what you've kind of curated there is is a really good starting point if people are. I think uh, anticipate people will have questions, but okay, like how do I start? You know, what do I do? Do I just like 
go for coffee with my buddies or like go for a walk or, you know, there's some, some good uh, tips and things on there that, that people can do, guys can use to, to kind of get started to show up for each other and to start to tend to and care for one another in meaningful ways. And yeah, so just thank you for that great resource. And of course, uh, people can, can connect with you, uh, on, on there and through your website. Um, there's all kinds of, of great, uh, great resources for us to dive into. So thank you again for sharing this time with us, for sharing your wisdom, um, in the work that you do. And as Zach had said, we have this closing question that we'd like to ask uh, all of our guests and Zach and I came up with this idea for a podcast while we were on a run together. I, I really believe that guys cool. doing doing things together is a great way to break down the barrier to start to have meaningful conversation. And we would have these long runs and we'd be talking about stuff that was just like really interesting and deep and meaningful. And we always just left feeling so satisfied. And on one run, Zach was like, yo, I think I've got the name for the, for the podcast. It's a little more good. And I was like, oh man, I love that. Like it just landed so well. And so we always like to hear from our guests, like what is that phrase that that little sentence mean to you? A little more good. Well, first off, I love the, I don't know how you guys were running and talking. Like if I'm, if I'm jogging, like that's the only thing I'm doing. You're going too fast. <laughs> Slow down, Connor. Slow down. Yeah. Maybe I got to work on my cardio here a little bit. I got my assault bike, but, um, oh, what does it do for me? A little more good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an aim, you know, I think that we all need an aim in life, a direction that we're moving not necessarily a destination that we're going to arrive at, but an aim that we're just constantly moving towards. And I think when I hear a little more good, that's an aim and a direction that people can follow, you know, and that people can move towards. And and everybody kind of has a sense of what that means to them, you know, and I think that gives me um, just a sense of hope, you know, and I think I think that I hope that I'm, I embody that for my son you know, that he can grow up in an environment where he sees people like you guys doing a little bit more good. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was great. Very well said. Appreciate that. All right, Connor. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I uh, look forward to connecting again with you in the future, whether in Vancouver or New York or online. And uh, we'll be, we'll be following your journey until then. Awesome. Thank you. Well, there you go, friends. The importance of leaning into healthy masculinity, the importance of uh, opening up, being vulnerable, doing the work, going through those rites of passage, identifying, you know, the things in our lives that can get in the way and, and just leveling up, being a better version of, uh, of the men we are and the men we're becoming. Men's Work, check out his book. It's an incredible guide to, to being a man, to masculinity. Yeah. I'm also just thinking of the song Men at Work. Or what is it? No, Down Under by Men at Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right, very different than Men's Work, the book, but uh, check them both out. Have some play, find some community and connect, and uh, we're grateful for all of you tracking with us this far, and hopefully uh, hopefully Connor's work is, uh, is, is connecting with you, and uh, you know we're grateful for any shares. Uh, if you think this would resonate with, a, with somebody in your life, send it their way, as Dean mentioned earlier. That's uh, the best way to spread a little more goodness for us is uh, sharing it with someone that you think it will resonate with. That's right. Appreciate you all. Thank you for your time, your attention, and listening through. Uh, Until next week, stay good, y'all. Peace. Peace.